Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Hey, if you're worshiping with us online today, we want to greet you on this Palm Sunday. I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here. We just had a wonderful 30 seconds here that you probably didn't hear online, but it was very enjoyable for us. Um, sometimes I'd like to have you all mic'd out there uh, instead of just me. Um, but hey, we're, um, we're moving from Palm Sunday right now to the cross. There's a reason to do that. Now, during this week, we invite you to Monday Thursday services. It's going to be amazing to the, the night where Jesus began communion for the first time. Um, and then Good Friday services, Pastor Steve is getting back in the saddle. We've been praying for him. He's gone through some surgery, but uh, he's making a comeback on Good Friday. That's, there's, a, there's a sermon in there somewhere. I don't know. Um, I think Jesus made a comeback after Good Friday. I don't know. Um, but we're, then Easter Sunday, all that we ask for Easter Sunday is whether you're worshiping online, whether you're here in the worship center, um, would you bring somebody with you? Seriously, if you're online, would you invite a friend and say, hey, I, I'll make breakfast. Come on over for breakfast, and afterwards, we'll attend our, our church together. Or, or, hey, come and let's attend Easter together with me in my living room, and we'll go to lunch after. If you come here, ask somebody to come with you. Yeah, studies have shown people have a very unfavorable view of the church in America right now. But in spite of that, almost 92% of people respond that they would at least consider going if anybody would ever invite them. But they say, like 85% of those, 92%, said nobody's ever invited them. So come to Easter and bring somebody with you. Um, when I meet Jesus, I hope I'm bringing somebody with me <laughs> instead of just coming with my selfish uh, self. So do that. And then after Easter, I can't wait. My favorite Sundays of the year, Baptism Sunday. We have Baptism Sunday coming after Easter. Can you put the slide up there? There's the QR code. If you've been thinking about baptism or reaffirmation of baptism, um, we've got children, youth, adults going to be there. Um, put your camera up. Hit that up. You can sign up. That's more important. Leave that up there. Guys, even when I start preaching, um, that's a way to respond. Or you can go to our website. You just come talk to one of us. But we're really looking forward to that the Sunday after Easter. So why are we at the cross? We're at the cross uh, today as we end our series, Easter on the Margins. We've been talking about Easter on the margins in the sense of God, uh, Luke, telling us over and over again that Jesus brings new life, not just on Easter Sunday, but throughout his ministry, healing and, and proclaiming good news and, and empowering people. And he tends to do it on the margins with least likely people. We started with the shepherds. We went, you know, to the woman who anointed Jesus with her tears, to Legion, to Bartimaeus, these folks who the world would walk right by, but Jesus tends to go to them with the good news and life-giving message of Easter. And so as we close this out, I thought it was so important to take us where Luke has been bringing us all along, and that's to the crucifixion. 
where Jesus not only came to us on the margins and, and empowered us and lifted us, but where Jesus himself ended up on the ultimate margin. That's what I call that. Jesus on the ultimate margin, right? You know, he walked into Jerusalem and Palm Sunday, he was, he was hailed and celebrated. But a few days later, that same crowd that said, Hosanna said, crucify him. And Jesus is crucified. He's at the ultimate margin. Now, crucifixion was around before the Roman Empire, but bore the insidious, hateful, evil Roman Empire. They took it to new levels. That, that crucifixion was not just an electric chair or a torture chamber or something like that. It wasn't where you went there and you died. The Romans perfected it so that you not only died, but you ultimately suffered. In fact, there are records of many people dying on a cross under crucifixion for three days, taking them three days to die. Jesus was there for six hours. And, and it's an awful death. It's asphyxiation. But it's also a, a humiliation. Because they would strip you naked. To just, again, to humiliate you. At your last hours, people are walking by you, seeing you uh, bloody and naked and, and full of shame. And they would put you by a road. So that people would, it would be like right at 480. You'd have crosses so people would drive by. It was the Romans' way of saying, hey, you want to break our laws? You want to mess with us? This could happen to you. So Jesus is outside the gates. He is in the ultimate margin, forsaken by God. He is cursed. And you say, well, wow, where does that come from? Well, if you read the law, the Mosaic law of the land, the Deuteronomy says this. If someone is convicted of a crime, punishable by death, and is executed, and you hang him on a pole, that can also be interpreted tree, you hang him on a pole... His corpse must not remain all light, night upon the pole. You shall bury him that same day. Are you hearing echoes of Easter? Right? For anyone hung on, it can also be interpreted exposed on, naked, a pole is under God's curse. That's where Jesus went. And Paul, who met Jesus, who was a keeper of the law, when, when Jesus delivered him, he said this in Galatians, referring to Deuteronomy. He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, we couldn't fulfill the law, hard as we try. You know, and if you get those biblical terrorists that come in your nose and say, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you doing this? Just be kind to them. They're only mean because they know they're not living up to it. That's the only reason people do that to you. Because they're scared to death because they're living under the law and they know they can't be redeemed because they can never fulfill it. The only person that ever perfectly fulfilled the law was Jesus and look what happened to him. And they would have done it to him too and so would we. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, and he quote Deuteronomy, curses everyone who is hung on a tree. And Jesus there at that margin, at that ultimate margin, forsaken of God, cursed, humiliated, tortured, and at the verge of death, prays, Father, forgive them. Forgive Chip. He's pretty screwed up, but he's okay in the big picture. He just doesn't know what he's doing. Do you see what, what he's saying? He's saying, Father, here we are. We're doing the greatest single thing in the history of the world. Nothing ever will be this monumental. And people don't get it. They don't see. 
In fact, Luke says in Luke 23, 45, it says the people stood by watching, not seeing. There's a big difference. They're watching. What did Jesus say? You have eyes, but you don't see. They asked Helen Keller, a famous prophet, uh, born blind and, and deaf, if you ever heard of her, back at a time when that wasn't highly you know, viewed upon, and they asked Helen Keller uh, through her interpreter, is there anything worse than being born deaf and blind? And she said, yeah, being born with your vision and still not being able to see. They're, they're watching, but they don't see, and that's why Jesus prayed what he prays. And, and, and the whole crowd, Luke tells us that the whole scope of the human race is missing it. They're all mocking. They're all scoffing. And, and he says leaders are scoffing. Uh, common people are scoffing. Jews are scoffing. Gentiles are scoffing. Uh, religious people are scoffing. Non-religious people. Nobody sees it. The whole scope of the human race doesn't understand what's happening at that moment. And except Luke tells us, he gives us four little case studies of people who see. I call them four friends, newfound friends at the end. Four people. First, the thief on the cross. Let's see what we can learn from them. The thief on the cross. Um, he's, he's between two thieves, um, crucified. This is, a, this is a moral outsider. He's broken the law. But let me tell you something that you probably didn't learn in Sunday school. Stealing was not a capital offense in that day. So he was, they, they couldn't have been put on the cross because they were thieves. They had to be people who murdered people when they robbed them. So this is, a, this is a very, very, very bad person who has murdered and stolen from innocent people, and yet he sees Jesus. He's not watching, he sees Jesus. The second one is an equally brutal man. He's the Roman centurion, verse 47. And he sees what's happening. It's a brutal man. Centurions would have killed. They were uh, the Roman soldiers who were nailing Jesus to the cross. The centurion was their boss. They were battle-hardened. They killed hundreds of thousands of people. They were brutal. They didn't murder and steal from innocent people, but they murdered innocent people to promote the Roman way. He's a brutal guy. And he's an ethnic outsider. He's not Jewish. He is Roman. He's a Gentile. The religious Bible-believing people would have said he's unclean. And he, Luke says, says certainly this man was innocent. Actually, it says certainly the Hebrew there, truly this was a righteous person. But look, notice the whole sentence. It said when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God. And said, truly this person was righteous. Do you know how wild, wild that is? Go away. You know how wild that is? I'll save that for baptism Sunday. All right. Um, how wild that is? The centurion, he praises God. This isn't a guy that goes, oh gee, we're sending somebody to death row and they may have been innocent. This is way deeper than that. He sees what's happening and he praises God. There's only six times in Luke's gospel where he says that somebody praised God. And every time, it was somebody that was seeing the saving action of God right before them. This hardened guy, he gets it, he sees it. Third party, they're not an individual, they're a group really. And it's, it's the women. The women, they're not newfound friends. They've been with Jesus from the beginning. And now they're here with him at the end. They're the only ones. 
You know, Jesus has been on this long journey down, journey down from heaven, down into a manger, born not to a rich family, but a poor one, down into rejection all of his life, down into foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to raise his, lay his head. He's going down, and, and then he was arrested, and down into Caiaphas's prison, and now he's going down to the cross, and eventually down into the tomb. And if the Apostles' Creed is right, it says he was crucified, dead, and buried, and descended into hell. And the only people there are there with him at the end are the women. They're the only ones. Twelve apostles aren't there. Judas betrayed, Peter denied, John made a little cameo, and then the other ten of them ran for the locked rooms. But if we'd have kept reading the two verses after what Pastor Terry read for us today, it said this, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed. What did Jesus say? He didn't say, hey, church, come attend me. He says, church, follow me. And they followed and they saw. They weren't watching. See, it's it's an extraordinary aspect that um, Luke's gospel, the aspect of women and women were so disempowered in that day and age. I don't like it. This was a patriarchal society. They had absolutely no place in the social standing. They had no power at all. They weren't even able to testify in court. And yet Luke tells us about the women. He names uh, 13 women in his gospel that are named nowhere else. And in Luke's gospel, you never see a woman who is responding inappropriately to Jesus. Only men. And it's as though Luke has this amazing positive view of here of these women who were on the outside excluded. And here's a guy morally on the outside excluded. And here's another guy ethnically on the outside included. And they're the one excluded. And they're the ones seeing Jesus. They see it. Now, when I say that, some of you are like me. We, we want to make it simple, make it quick. We're like that guy who says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Tell me now. And somebody says, well, say the sinner's prayer. Go down the Romans road, right? We need a prescription. Uh, speak in tongues. Don't speak to anyone, right? We had all the church, all these prescriptions. And so we say, I get it now, Chip. You said it's the excluded. It's the outsiders that see Jesus. So I just got to make sure I'm a little bit of an outsider, like that, that's the issue. What do you do with the fourth one, Joseph of Arimathea? He's a member of the council. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's extremely powerful. He's extremely wealthy. And I love how God blows our computer with his grace. Just when you think you got it at the shepherds and what chips and preaching out there. Let me tell you this guy. Because grace is completely egalitarian. It's for everybody. Now the outsiders tend to get grace quicker because in order to receive grace, you need to know you need grace. And for people who are very powerful and very wealthy, and there's nothing wrong, Jesus loves them, invite them in. But sometimes, when everything's going well in your life, and all your bills are paid, and all your kids are in wonderful schools, and you're just beating your chest, and you're driving around with, you know, I'm the greatest parent in the world on your bumper sticker. And oh, sometimes when that happens, we think we earned it. Worse yet, we think we deserve it. And it's harder for folks when you're in that position. It's harder to accept grace than it is for somebody who really knows they need it. Where, the, where they hit bottom and bottom fell out. But Joseph Arimathea says it's for everyone. Grace is for everybody. And Joseph, he, he runs to Jesus. What I love about it is said that he was, uh, he was a man who was waiting and searching expectantly. 
for the kingdom of God. Waiting expectantly. That means he was looking for it. He wasn't watching. He wasn't just listening to daily news. He was looking for a kingdom. He was looking for a place that didn't have school shootings every month. He was looking for a place where politicians didn't act like three-year-old brats, but actually got something done. He was looking for a place where people were treated justly under the law. He was looking for a place where there was equity in schools and housing and all those things. He was looking for a place where there was no poverty and there was no war and there was no exploitation and there was no racism and there was no sexism. He was looking for the kingdom. And he saw Jesus. <laughs> and he got it. He gets it. How do we get it, friends? How do we get it? <clears throat> Four quick ways. I, I got 10 minutes and I want us to come to the table. First, let's look at this thief on the cross. How's he get it? First step, he looks past the crowd. The crowd, these are people that never get together. It's everybody, you know, the, the Romans, the Jewish religious leaders. This is the conservatives. This is the liberals. This is the progressive. All of them don't see it. And they're mocking Jesus. But he has the courage to look past the crowd. See, the other thief on the cross, he just jumped in with the crowd. Everybody's mocking, I'll mock. Everybody's scoffing, I'll scoff. They're, you know, they're saying, Jesus, save yourself. He goes, yeah, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. But the other guy, he looks past the crowd. He gets a view of Jesus, and he has the courage not to jump in with the crowd. He, he, he doesn't fall in to that, that mocking. He's seeing something. He's like Zacchaeus. I love Zacchaeus. We always say the little tax collector from Jericho, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and climbed up a tree. Zacchaeus was not four foot short. That's a lie. The Bible says he was short in stature, meaning he was a chief tax collector. Everybody knew his business. They hated him. He was very wealthy, but he, he got his wealth at other people's expense. And he knew if he stood with the crowd, some of the assassins would have stuck a knife between his ribs. But he said, I want to see Jesus so bad, I'll climb a tree. And look what? Over the crowd. And, and that's what this, this brother did. He looked past the crowd. This takes discipline, folks. I, I, one of the stories, we've had all these stories of racial injustice we've seen in the past, well, hundreds of years, but predominantly we've seen it recently in the past four or five years. And one of those was Amber uh, Geiger. Do you remember her? Amber Geiger was a Dallas police officer, and she walked into both M. Jean's apartment in Dallas, and he was eating ice cream, and she shot and killed him. And her defense was, you know, that, oh, she thought she walked into her apartment and she thought there was an intruder, and I kind of thought, okay, if there's an intruder and he's sitting on the couch eating ice cream, does he need to be shot? I don't know. It was just a thought. But, but you know, what happened was uh, she was convicted. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Now, when I first heard that, and others of us who fight against injustice and all this, uh, there were a lot of people, including me, I'm confessing, thought, that's way too lenient. Young man getting executed in his apartment, and you only get 10 years, and guess what? I didn't look past the crowd. Because <laughs> if I looked past the crowd, I would have to seen that courtroom, and you can see it on YouTube. And, and when my heart was thinking in rage, I went and watched that. I don't know if you saw it. But before they sentenced her, uh, Brant, Botham Jean's brother, got up, and he gave a statement in which he forgave Amber. And he explained he did not wish her any harm. He instead encouraged her look to Jesus. That's what he said in front of the court. And then he looked at Geiger and told her that he loved her. And he asked 
the judge for permission to come forward and give her a hug. And if you listen to the video, the weeping in that courtroom is palpable. The judge is seen wiping tears from her eyes. And then she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And then when the cameras were off, but YouTube catches it, the judge, Tammy Kemp, she walked over to Geiger and she handed her a Bible. And she said to her, you can have my Bible. I have three or more at home. This is the one I use every day. And now she said to her, this is your job for the next month. This is where you start. Read John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave everything he had for you and me. Friends, if I didn't look over the crowd, I'd have never seen it. Do you have the courage to look past the crowd? You know, we always talk about bucking the system. You ever heard that term? Bucking the trends. How about you buck the crowd and look over and see Jesus? Second thing he does is he identifies his real center. See, the other thief, here's the one, he goes to Jesus the way most of us did. I know I came to God this way, probably you did. Usually people, your life's going on, then some bad things happen, and you go through a struggle, or you get betrayed, or you're disappointed, and you didn't get the promotion, and you say, maybe I need God. Maybe I should go to church. And that's what this other thief did. He said, okay, Jesus, you know, if you're the Messiah, uh, I'll serve you, I'll follow you. I just have one little test if you're actually who you say you are. I just have a little test to determine if you're God. If you're God, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Christ, can you get me out of here? That's how we go to God. Can you save me from this? Right? The average person, we get into trouble, and we say, if you're really there, and you're really good, then get me out of this cessation. I have this need, this absorbing need, and if you don't fix it now, I reject you. I, I, if brother, if you're on the internet, I, I love you and the, the arms are open. But this was 12 years ago. I remember a young man came into our church and, and he got involved. I got to know him. And like, I, all of a sudden, I hadn't seen him forever. Like that happens in, in your large churches and that. And, and it was like three years later, I saw him. We bumped into each other at the mall and we were storing. I said, hey man, I gave him a big hug. And I said to him, hey, you know, I haven't seen you in a long time. What's up? He said, he said, Pastor, I tried. I said, you tried what? He said, I tried God. I tried church. I was lonely. I came to a church for six months, and I never got a date. <laughs> Jesus, if you're there, can you get me a date? And that breaks my heart, but, that, but I, I'm, not, I'm not mocking him. I'm mocking myself. We all do that. And we go to God and say, God, I got this thing. You know, I will follow you if... You know what that means? Whatever's on the other side of your if is your God. It is your non-negotiable. And you go to God as always your personal assistant and say, God, yeah, I'll follow you. I'll give you a nice tip. I'll do whatever. If! Is it any wonder God doesn't answer those prayers? And he sits up there and you go, hey, I love you, but why don't you call me when you're really serious? Right? And, and so this other thief doesn't say that. He doesn't say, get me out of here. He says, whether you get me out of here or not, remember me. He shifted his center to Jesus. If we're going to see the gospel, we got to look over the crowd. We got to, you know, identify our center and shift it to Jesus. Finally, thirdly, we got to see the darkness. Darkness fell on the whole world. Did you read that? And some people have said, well, it must have been a lunar or a solar eclipse. It wasn't an eclipse. Read your Old Testament. It says there will be a judgment day. There will be a reckoning day. 
There will be a time to come in the Old Testament say it will be a day of darkness. And the darkness, here's this man. He sees his own darkness. He knows he's done wrong. In fact, when the other thief starts to decry him, did you hear what he said? He said, hey, we deserve this. He pointed all 10 fingers at himself. He didn't say my legs were too short and my mother never loved me. He took accountability and he said, we deserve this, but this man doesn't. But what's happening right now is the darkness isn't just falling on us, it's falling on him, who is a righteous man. And suddenly he started to get it. He started to see this man is taking the darkness that I deserve. He's finding a way to deal with evil and eliminate evil without eliminating me. And something in there changed him. See, you're never gonna you're never gonna accept grace if you don't see your own darkness. That's why people say to me, What is the gospel? What's the good news? Here it is. Those of you who've been with me have heard this a million times. The gospel is simply this you're far more wicked than you ever knew. However bad you think you are, you're worse. It took nothing short of the death of the king of the universe to save you and me. That's how that's how brutally wicked we are. But you're far more loved than you ever dared dream. At the same time. And if we can accept that, it humbles us into the dirt and it lifts us to the skies. And this man saw his own darkness, but he saw the love of Jesus coming for him. And he had the courage to kneel. You can kneel in your heart even if you can't kneel in your body. When Zacchaeus climbed a tree, he knelt. When a thief on the cross said, remember me, he knelt. And we need to kneel and see our darkness. Last point, and then we'll come to the table. When you look past the crowd, when you shift your center over to Jesus, when you see the darkness that's in you and in the world, and you go to him, know that you're safe with him. Do you know something I learned about God? Uh, uh, I had a pastor one time, a great theologian. He said to me, you know, Chip, he said, uh, tell me what you think about God. And I began to talk about it. And he said, let me tell you this and remember this for the rest of your life. Whatever you think about God, he's more. However holy you think God is, he's more. However forgiving you think God is, he's more. However loving you think God is, he's more. Paul, who was the murderer of Christians, right? He got knocked off his high horse. He, he, he had to, you know, face his own darkness and blindness. And later he said, when he found out about Jesus, he said, now unto him who is exceedingly abundantly able to do more. I had this occurrence in Ireland. I was preaching there a revival in the 1990s, and there was, it was a monument. One of those moments in my life, I was going through a monumental shift, and these Irish charismatics, we were great. We were there all week, and I was waiting to hear a word from God. And on the last night there, I won't bore you with the story, but it's a great one. I heard from God, and I went up to the altar, and I just was consumed in the spirit. And I, I kind of woke up on the altar, and these guys go, are you hearing from God, laddie? And they lay their hands on me and they go, Lord, whatever you're giving Chip, give him more. And out like a light bulb I went. It was one of the few times I've been utterly slain in the spirit because God is more. And this thief asked for something. He said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus gave him more. Did you hear it? Hey, Lord. When you come into this kingdom, this one I've been dreaming about, the one Joseph Arimathea's been like, would you just remember? He said, remember you? He said, I'll be with you. Today you will be with me. Somebody say with me. 
See, that's different than remember me. That's different than thoughts and prayers. That is with you. With you through the struggles, with you through the trials. Today, I will be with you. Now, in that kingdom, what happens? There's a feast. I'm going to ask my son, Matt, to come on out here. I think, I think Jamie will. One, one of you guys can come up and grab the TV. Uh, I'm, I'm done about three, four minutes early than I usually am. And I did that on purpose because I want to have a moment of reflection. My son, Matt's going to sing a song for us. I think Jamie's going to accompany him. Uh, they're coming to get the, the TV. If you're online, uh, Matt is a really good-looking guy. He takes after his mama. But you're not going to see Matt online. All you're going to see is the words. We can see Matt here. But here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to sing. I want you to listen. I want you to look at the words on the screen. And I want you to meditate on them. Because I heard this song for the first time a couple weeks ago, and it hit me. This is what the thief on the cross heard. When Jesus said, you're going to be with me. He's saying, there's a, ta- there's a seat for you at my table. Now, witness Chip kneeling right now, because you know why? It's a country western song. Some of you know I've, I've confessed. I know I'm repenting. I'm growing. Pray for me. I've told you before, if I had to listen to eight hours of country western music, I would give up all our national secrets, and then I would drown myself in Lake Erie. But even sinners like me can be saved by grace. But I did, I heard this song, and I heard the, the uh, writer of this song, Zach Williams. Whenever I hear a song that just rips me up, I go to YouTube and I see, can I see him do it live? Because when you see artists do the song live, you see their heart. And you know what happened? I went to hear him do it live. And you know where he was doing it live? In the Harding Maximum Security Prison in Nashville. Could the gospel land more in our face this week? And these prisoners were weeping. You don't have to be a thief on the cross. You don't have to be a brutal centurion. You don't have to be a social outcast. You don't have to be rich or famous. I think these words are for all of our words. So would you just reflect on them? Reflect on them right now and then come to the table. Since 
In all your sorrow and your sadness There's a Savior and he calls Bring it all to the table He can see the weight you carry Fears that hold your heart But through the cross you've been forgiven You're accepted as you are So bring it all to the table There's nothing he ain't seen before all your trials and all your worries and your sadness as a savior in he calls bring it all to the table and bring it all and you can bring it all Come right in and take your place There's no one who's turned away All your sinners and all your saints Come right in and find your grace Come right in take your place There's no one who's turned away All your sinners and all your saints Come right in and find your grace So bring it on to the table There's nothing he ain't seen before For all your sin and all your sorrows and your burdens To save your any cause Bring it all to the table To save your any cause Bring it all to the table there's a savior and he calls, bring it all to the table.